So when you have players, especially when you have players that's, that want to play the game from the inner city, that's not from a structure household, they can feel if somebody cares about them. They can feel that passion from them. So if you, it's more like baseball is a platform, but there's no development. So if you go in and it's like, hey, showcase your skills, but it's like, I know I'm athletic, but it's not translating. Show me. Well, we don't have time to do that. All right, well, you know what? I'll go play football and basketball because those coaches are showing people how to play basketball, how to play football. Hey, it's Breaking Barriers, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging podcast. We're here for real talk. We're not afraid to go there. And we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change. We believe our diversity, our differences, when joined together by a common set of ideals, makes us stronger. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity. Your world has changed, but your dreams shouldn't have to. That's why Kirkwood is your next best step. With affordable, flexible, and close-to-home options, now's a great time to start or finish your Kirkwood degree. Learn more at kirkwood.edu slash findyourfuture. Displaced or discouraged at work, Kirkwood can help you learn a new skill or totally reinvent yourself for a brand new career. With so many flexible and affordable options, you can get back on track fast. Learn more at kirkwood.edu slash find your future. Let's go. Florida now, I did it. I, let's get this on tape. We'll go around. <laughs> Name, where, what team you're from and, and what you do right now outside of baseball and why you're here. And then we'll get into some conversation. Just quick intro to yourself. Yep. If we did bios, we'd be here for another hour. I got you. All right. Uh, Preston Wilson played uh, 10 seasons, nine-plus years in the major leagues, bumped around, won the World Series in 2006 uh, with the Cardinals, uh, all-star in 2003. Ray Burris played 15 years in the big leagues. This is my 51st year in professional baseball. And right now I participate in developing young men and women and being the best they can be. Michael Tucker played uh, 13 years in the big leagues. Did not win the World Series, Preston. Yeah, I think y'all beat us that year. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, they. You know, we let them win. We let them win. So, but uh, yeah, helping uh, young kids all over, doing camps, uh, clinics, uh, doing lessons. You know, just trying to be included. Uh, Marcus Nettles. I played nine years in the minor leagues. My strongest accolades would, would probably be winning the College World Series uh, two times at the University of Miami, and I'm currently a state trooper here in Illinois, and uh, I run the Marcus Nettles Project, uh, which uh, is a foundation that helps the community, youth, and police. Thank you. Well, let's start off there, actually, because I, I stalk a few of y'all. But black man, baseball, yep. law enforcement. <laughs> right. Let's just be honest. You don't see a lot of us in those positions. Oh. So talk to me about your work and how baseball has helped you inside and outside of work and how that applies to the kids that you help. Well, I, I was talking earlier to Marlon about this. Um, I've seen a structure of baseball and the state police is, is a very similar format um, as far as minorities being involved. Um, state police is about 7% black. Uh, baseball, is those, sim those numbers are very similar. And um, it's just interesting navigating and doing some of the things that I do um, to help the community. And one of the main things, you know, I, I want to do is, or I do as, being, as far as being a police is stand in the community that I grew up in and um, being that, that extra, that extra police officer that's, I say it's the, the, the extra black person that's in the community because it's not a lot of us that, that don't want to do the job, but I'm from a family full of law enforcement. So mm -hmm. um, 
I feel like I know how to navigate it better and I understand uh, both sides. So, you know, you mentioned the numbers. We, we talked about this in the last group too, is how do we get, like we know there's always the, the verbal push, like we want to get more black players, right? How do we actually get it to happen though? Because we've had that verbal push now for a while, right? And at one point, I mean, when I was a young kid, the numbers weren't the same. And we've seen more Latin America players and, and a transition there. But how do we get past just the words we're going to do it to where we actually are doing it? Uh, I'll make it long story short. The answer is money. And I'm going to take you on a little time travel. Um, the numbers have changed over the years, and there's a lot of factors. Some of them were well-meaning factors that ended up being detrimental to the back, black baseball player. Number one, when schools integrated, the athletes came but the people who did the instruction did not leave. So those coaches that were at those black schools, those administrators were at those black schools, did not get jobs in those integrated schools. They ended up being janitors. They ended up having to go be shoe salesmen or something else. They didn't become teachers, vice principals, principals. So you lose that empathy for the black ball player, which also turns the black ball player away. Title IX, which made colleges, gives the same number of scholarships for women's sports as men's sports. Great thing, and I believe female athletes deserve to have as many scholarships as male scholarships, but the schools did not specify where those scholarships had to come from. So you, football was able to keep their full scholarships. Basketball was able to keep their full scholarships. Baseball went down to 11.4 scholarships per school. That loses black athletes. A black athlete can go to mom and dad and say, hey, I can go to a semi-whatever school, get a full ride in football or basketball. They can be the best baseball player on their team and can still only get a half scholarship at best at any school in this country. Michigan did something a little bit different a few years ago where they, what they did was they gave the full scholarships to the players that needed it and the other players had to play their own way. It was a big deal because you saw four or five black players in college on the field at the same time. I don't know if you remember that in the College World Series. Uh, well, a lot of those guys are from Chicago. Right. So from that so program you saw at the University of Michigan. So right. Yeah. So what really the answer is is money. You have to, at every level, incentivize black players to be able to play the sport because they can play basketball and football for free. They cannot play baseball for free. Mm -hmm. Who do we talk to to make that happen? Like, where do we go to, to grow more of that? Because okay. baseball is America's sport, so you would think yeah. that that is... Well, we have to remind people that African-Americans are Americans as well. So when you look at the college level, you look at all these coaches. I actually wrote an article on this a years ago. Um, I believe it was in 2018, 2019, out of 301 NCAA programs, there were 13 black head coaches. That's including HBCUs. Seven of those were the HBCUs. You had 11 part-time full paid, uh, fully paid assistant coaches. So now if you break that down, 300, Roughly 12, what's your percentage? That's, that's, not, that's not a mistake. And these, a lot of these are state-funded schools. So you're going to tell me out of all the qualified people in the world to be a head coach in college baseball that somehow only 13 managed to be a head coach in college baseball? Ba colleges, how do we, how, we need to talk to people and acknowledge these things because these things are not an accident. These things are not an accident. When's the last time you saw a black catcher in, in baseball? The last full-time black catcher in baseball was Charles Johnson. We had uh, the kid Benedict who was with Oakland who got in trouble because he kneeled for the cabinet thing. We never saw him again. When's the last time you saw a, a, a pitcher who wasn't an ace pitcher in college baseball? What does that mean? That means the people who spend the time with these players are choosing to choose someone who looks like them 
rather than deal with someone they may not understand, may not have an empathy for. And to Preston's point, um, pretty much I know Preston myself playing baseball when I was coming up, I saw people that looked like me. So if I saw people look like me, I felt comfortable playing the sport. Now, if you look at it and the numbers are down, you can probably name a handful of black players that are out there. So how do you get those players to want to play a sport when they don't see anybody that looks like them? Well, I can go play football and I can play basketball and I see people that look like me, talk like me, and probably came from an area just like me. That's important. You can put your hands on somebody. You can touch somebody in your neighborhood, in your community who does that thing that you may be thinking about doing. We, we talk about that in, in our world as consultants in the business world a lot. We, we need to see leaders that look like us. And base, baseball is no different. So, well, we, so one we of the things... Anthony, we even heard in the last group that a lot of the HBCUs, even the players on those teams are not black players. Because you so can't get a full ride. You can't get a full you ride. You can't get a full ride. Uh, right. One of my... Um, yesterday, I, I run a program that works with justice-impacted individuals. And I had three very successful um, black men who were just their focus group for the program. All of them business owners doing extremely well now, you would never guess, but all of them went to prison, right? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. we're Midwest right now, so I'm from the state over in Iowa, right? So deindustrialization leaves, people don't have jobs, there's a lack of opportunity, all the things. And yet, they've been able to overcome, but one of the things they said was, Joy, in our community when we were growing up, the, the popular people and the people that I saw was drug dealers, so that's what I knew, right? I saw drug dealers, and so that's what... That's where that's how we all ended up getting caught up. And so I love that you talked about that people can't put their hands on that because I think that that is so important. Where do we start, though? Like, I would love to hear from you all. Like, we know resources. Anthony will tell you. I'm a money girl. Like, people are like, well, it's more than just writing a check. It starts with the check, though. Talk to me about the check first, and then we'll talk about other stuff. And so where else can we start? I believe it becomes with, first of all, acknowledging what the real issues are. We do a lot of we do a lot of talking about things, but until we get everybody that's in this conversation room to admit that the truth is the truth, it becomes this abstract idea. You know, so once once you make it real, once you make it tangible, once you make it something that we all say, you know what, this is happening. You know, just like I brought to when I brought when's the last time you saw a black catcher in college? The head coach in college spends the most time with the catcher. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's the person he's got to communicate. That's the person that he trusts to put down the signals when he's calling that game. So we have to acknowledge that these things are real. So I think first it comes with the acknowledgement. And then we have to go out and find the places that people who actually care, not just lip service, people who are willing to put the time as well as the money into making this ideal of baseball having all the best athletes available to it to become the best sport it can possibly be. So we've talked to some other players, and so the conversation with the other group very, very important. It's it's the money, right? And the the feedback is we're not, we don't have seats at the table, so we're not in positions of decision making powers as as black men or Latino men. We're not at the table, and so my my question is, how do we get to the table to be able to make those decisions? It takes it, take, it takes the right heart, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the right heart at the table. The right heart is not going to invite the other heart that needs to be there. Yeah. If you got a bad heart, he don't want a good heart, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Now, Preston alluded to something a few minutes ago, as well as you guys. 
When I came along in the 70s, every major league club, and there was only 24, you had six to seven black athletes on every club. How many do you have today? Yep. One, maybe two. Yep. One At most, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll say if you're recruiting well and doing what you should one, do. One if you're lucky. <laughs> so where has the disconnect began? That's what I was going to ask. Comfort, trust, and believability, in my opinion. Like if I'm, if, if I'm approaching him, I don't have no problem approaching him, but maybe he has a problem approaching me. I'm a human being, my color, my color is different, but I'm a human being. What would make me unapproachable? Does that make sense? Absolutely, so I think, absolutely. I think, I think acknowledgement and then getting to the table with the right hearts that want to do something. We'll also say, real quick, you, so I was gonna say too, um, you know, we, we heard this thing too, when you talk about Chicago, you know, Chicago's a, a, a baseball, I'm sorry, a, bas a basketball city, right? And you hear, oh, brothers ain't playing baseball in Chicago. We play baseball in Chicago, right? But the thing is, is you have organizations that come in um, and that's, that's what I, you know, just to get off track, that's why I like Rise to Greatness because they didn't come in and try to, try to do something different. They just piggybacked on people that have their, you know, have their boots on the ground in a community. Organizations like my organization, Ernest Organization, Radcliffe Organization. So if you have, you have people that's really passionate about trying to make a change and trying to keep and motivate players, because there's money out there. It's money being spent on, hey, let's make this program. Major League Baseball has it. Let's make this program. Let's make that program. Why don't you all just go into the communities of the black communities with the people that already have programs where you have black kids playing and saying, hey, all right, now what do we do? Now what's the obstacles that, that we have? And, and that's what I think that's missing is the people that, that do have influence and do have the money, they're not really going into the, the, the communities and finding the people that have legitimate organizations with legitimate people that are playing and piggybacking off of that. They're starting their own thing just to put lipstick on something either because they're too lazy or they just, they just don't want to do it and they don't really care. And then they say, hey, look, we're trying. We're trying. Black folks ain't playing. We playing baseball. See, yes, we, we talk about that. Like, we, you know, it, the one thing I like about what my dad and sister do is that they don't center themselves on it, right? They center the kids and they center the groups locally. But you said, you know, economic. There's no money being put into it. It's not that there's not money. It's just not being allocated, correct? I, th I think that's part of it. But I think these two, the last two people that spoke, Ray and uh, Marcus, uh, dealt with two very real things. Uh, Ray said, talking about the good heart the good intent, the people who mean well, not just to talk. And you said locally. People, there are, ple there are mechanisms in place locally to help the minority athlete, the minority baseball player, but people want to have their name on it. So they will take apart all of those connections, that whole network that people have grown through generations of knowing people in these communities only to try to make something put their own name on it so that it can be theirs. So now it becomes about them getting the credit, not about the work being done. The other point I want to make to, to kind of go, so you guys have gone from heart, local, and I'm going to go globally, like the major league area, what we're talking about. And this is a, it's a sensitive topic to some people because we don't like to acknowledge it. My father, in high school, 1971, played on his first integrated team in his high school. 1971, integrated team in high school. He was the first black baseball player on his high school team, 1971. 
My father's now 60, I believe 67 years old, I believe. When we talk about owners in this country of owning these teams, we're talking about men from that age to their mid-80s. A lot of those men went to segregated schools. They did not spend time with African-American people. They did not spend time with Latin American Latin people. They did not spend time with friends of any other color. So they don't have an emotional connection. They don't have, they don't see the value in it. So when you're talking about a disconnect, we have to realize that that money that we're talking about, that we want to go into these things, is in the hands of people who only care about if it looks bad, not if it is bad. So we, sadly to say, part of the thing that's gotta happen is ownership needs to change hands. So, so, so once ownership changes hands, now that money can actually go because now the heart will be there. Now the people who honor those local connections will be there. And the people who actually want baseball to be the best, including everybody for baseball's sake, will be the people with the money in their pockets. Because when you look at the, 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 the situation now, Charlie Hayes has a facility right outside in Tumball, Texas. Ron Jackson, Papa Jack, has a facility in Birmingham, Alabama. I have a facility in Dunedin, Florida. Had one in Fort Worth. There's people all over this country, black players, black representatives of Major League Baseball, who have facilities and are making a difference in their community and in the game of baseball. Why do you, it's, it's systemic, so let's just say that. But one of, one of the things that we were talking about with the last session is that all 32 teams have academies in the Dominican Republic, and they're pumping a ton of money in the Dominican Republic. And the question was, to, to your point, is why don't they do that in urban communities here? Why do you think that is? Because it's cheap. It's cheaper I, to do it overseas I, than it is I, here? I, I, another, I don't know the answer. Another article I wrote, I wrote an article, and it ended up in a small newspaper in, in Palm Beach, Florida. There was a year where the first two picks got... The first pick got $10 million. I think the next pick got like $6.4 million, $16 million. Each team at that point could build an academy and house 80 to 100 players for $8 million. So instead of taking a chance on two players because they were subjected to the amateur draft, you can go to Dominican and get these kids at 15, 16, 16 years, mm -hmm. what, 16 now? 16, 16 years old and filter through 80 to 100 of them in two separate academies, and you're going to hit one Vladimir Guerrero. You're going to hit one, you know, one, one, one Pedro Vero. You're going to hit a Manny Ramirez out of those 100 players. You're going to hit one Francisco, Francisco Lindor. Why? Because they don't have to give the money up. If all players in the world were, 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 had to go through the amateur draft, that would not happen, but it's not just Dominican Republic. They have schools in Venezuela. They have schools yeah. in Mexico. Yep. They're trying to start Colombia because they have a few players started coming out of Colombia. So all of these countries, they can go and house, and they say they bear these English classes. Yeah, they teach them English, but it's not like they're not really immersive English classes. They learn rudimentary, rudimentary English at best. Mm -hmm. So it's really a system where they can pay a very little money, take very little risk on some of these players. I'm talking about there's some superstars we know that signed for $50,000. There's some superstars that we know that signed for $80,000. Yeah. But if, you, if you're subject to the amateur draft and you're that good of a player, 
they're going to have to give up a whole lot more money. Right. Now, there is this thing where the casual viewer does not realize that there are so few African-Americans because a lot of those Dominican players look just like African-American players. So you get the optics of having color on the field, but that color is not the same because we're not talking about Americans. We're talking about Dominican players versus American, African-American players. The skin color looks the same, but those aren't the same thing. Like Ray was mentioning in the mid 80s, the peak for African-American ballplayers was 26, 27 percent. At one point, we got down to 5 percent. How do we get there? Is it because they're pushing us out? No. Or is it, it, it the, got, money it, the money changed. The money changed. The money changed. And it got to a point where the commissioner was being hounded by the NAACP to draft more black players. I'm talking about in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. There wasn't enough black players being drafted. So they said, well, we are drafting uh, minority players. Well, minority players are not black players. There's a difference. So the words, yeah, they're playing they with the words. All yeah. together. Yeah. Remember that, that you, you see that in the yeah. 70s when, when affirmative action came, it was easy to hire a bunch of women and say that you were meeting your goals. No, no disrespect to no, women, but it was used in place of black people. The baseball did the same thing. Remember when they had the whole diversity thing in baseball just come up this year and they had a woman lead the whole deal? White males still keep kept their pretty much same percentage of jobs. Now, what happened was you had more, you know, people of uh, sexual uh, diversity come in. You had more pe women come in. You had more people of uh, cultures or, you know, countries of origin came in differently. But the white male pretty much kept the same percentage of jobs. Mm -hmm. What's the dual solution? Because I, I, even when I hear you say somebody from Dominican Republic gets $50,000, $80,000, but they're a superstar. So somebody is making millions of dollars off of yes. them and they're not getting that. So there's this system that's set up where essentially they are being um, misused too, right? And then you are actually cutting out black players in the United States. So what's the dual solution? Make that everybody subject to the amateur draft. Exactly. And what, they, what they do there is, say you have a son that's 12 years old, projected to be the next Sammy Sosa at 12. But well, they can't draft you until you're 16. So a Pasconi, which is like an agent, mm -hmm. comes and gets you from your home, for your son, and, and takes him to his home and grooms him for the next four years. Pays his bills, everything. When he gets 16, he tries out in front of the scouts. They sign him to a $10 million contract. He takes 30% of it. And that's not just local people. There was a, there was, we had an incident where there was an ex-ball player and a major league GM who was skimming money from these players. Yeah. Jim Bowden and, uh, and, a, and a pitcher that was with the Reds was skimming money, for, and they got caught, they got in trouble. Were skimming money from them, taking kickbacks. So it's not just outside. These are actual people in baseball who are being predatory upon these players. And that's exactly what it is. So we, we, there's a lot of things that are going on where... Changes needed, but number one, if everyone is subject to the amateur draft, that changes everything because now they can't put this money into all these foreign countries and then cry about not having African American ball players. Right. They, it's like they're playing both sides of the fence. Like, you, well, we win, want win more African American ball players, but we want to make sure we get these discount Latino players. Yep, yep. we got to get them bargain basement. You know, we got them. It's a money game. And it's going to be like that from top to bottom. I mean, no matter whether you have travel teams and stuff like that, because if you take it all the way down to, like, the travel teams, travel teams, a lot of them, for the younger kids, it, 
the people that are running them, they're going to make money. They're trying to get as many teams out there as possible. But if you have a travel team and then, like Preston said, you have coaches who have a, a certain mindset and what Ray said, you have a certain heart, then these players come out. Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to put them in positions where they're not going to affect anything else that I'm doing because this parent is giving me a lot of money for his son to play shortstop or be the prime guy in that position. So now what I'm starting to do from a grassroots perspective, I'm trying to exclude. It's not include. I'm excluding you now. So I'm slowly going to push you out to where now you're going to go to play football because I can go and play football, like Preston said, and I can spend $50. I can give me a football, a top, some shorts. I'm going to go play. Only two. Only two. And with baseball, oh, this guy has a $500 bat. And it costs him X amount of dollars to come and, and, do, and do these tournaments and do this and do this. Next thing you know, you're sitting there going, I can't afford this. So now they've already priced you out at the grassroots level. That Now there's less that you have to choose from as it moves up. Right. And by the time they do get to a college level, I only have a small percentage. And now I'm picking from that small percentage already to make an even smaller percentage as it grows up. Right. Just the inverted triangle. Just to add a little bit of color to that picture that he was painting, travel baseball costs you between $1,500 to $4,500 to play travel baseball. If you don't have that disposable income as a family, you have to get a sponsor to put that money up for you. If you don't have that, you can't play travel baseball. The backside of that is high school coaches now have a win-now mentality. They're not trying to develop players. They're not trying to look at this kid with raw tools that says in two or three years he can be a monster. They want players who they play travel ball. They know what they're going to get. They understand that this guy can help us right now. So what ends up happening? You have coaches that don't want to coach because exactly. they want to Thank win. You. Exactly. Thank they you. They don't want to coach. They don't. They just want In to our money. world, we call that value and mission, mission over leadership. Mission over leadership. Well, this is what's so great to me. This is my second event for Rise to Greatness Foundation, and the the hearts. You know, I'm, I'm gonna go back to the hearts because I think that's where everything everything illuminates from. Mm-hmm. What your heart says is what you who you really are. In my opinion. And I'm only talking about my opinion. You got these guys that care. They care. Why do they care? Because they have a caring heart. Mm-hmm. There's different kind of hearts. And so now when they care, you see them having fun with those kids out there. A coach is only concerned about one thing, and that's ching ching. Yep. He's not bringing anything of value to your son or daughter as far as instruction and development. And that's why these things were needed a crown, okay? For years, I used to complain a lot about the RBI program in Major League Baseball. It wasn't a program of, of, of substance to me. It, it really just wasn't. A, just a transactional program, right? And I'm an ex-Major League player, and I hate to say this, but it ended up being a glorified after-school care program yeah. instead of, of a real, indulgent baseball, immersive teaching you the game, teaching you the minutia, the ins and outs that the Major League Baseball players are trying to pass down through that, it became a glorified after-school program is what it became. And and, and to piggyback on what they're saying about development, um, that's the thing with baseball is that it's like a a money grab. So when you have players, especially when you have players that want to play the game from the inner city, 
that's not from a structured household, they can feel if somebody cares about them. They can feel that passion from them. So if you, it's more like baseball is a platform, but there's no development. So if you go in and it's like, hey, showcase your skills, but it's like, I know I'm athletic, but it's not translating. Show me. Well, we don't have time to do that. All right, well, you know what? I'll go play football and basketball because those coaches are showing people how to play basketball, how to play football. They not, it's, you don't really have that in baseball. There's very few coaches or very few guys, especially that look like us, that's showing others, especially black kids, when they become interested on how to play the game in a proper rate, way. It's more like get out there, and it's a lot of failure in baseball. Yep. You fail, all right. One of the most failed sports there is, right? Yep. So you got to have somebody to comfort you, to, to develop you. But going back to what you said, uh, Preston, like you said, it's just more baseball is, is a platform. It's just a platform, not a, de not a developmental process. That's what it seems like it's turning into. Well, we, we talked about the RBI program some in the last group, too, and it seems to me like it, it's one of those things like Major League Baseball had a great intent, but their impact on it was. Yeah, the, the intent was there, but, but the substance and how they were going forward with it may have gotten translated or lost somewhere in the, in the process. I don't know what the original intent was. I wasn't there when it, when, it, when it was formulated. I just know I was part of it as a player, as a coach, in the camps that they were having. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this feels transactional. What, what are they teaching? We have to understand so, that it's all a relationship. It's all a relationship. So if I tell you, I love you, we're going to be together. But if I don't do anything on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to execute that and show you that love, what do I have? I have an empty promise. And that's what RBI became. It became a bunch of words without actions that actually followed toward to execute what I it love, was meant to be. I don't love it, but I love it because it, it validates the passion for the work that, that we do. We talk a lot about in business, in the business world, and baseball's a business, we talk a lot about valuing the mission over leadership. You can't have leadership without a heart. But I can do a spreadsheet all day long, and, and I can do analytics in baseball all day long. So I really appreciate you all are collectively saying what you said, and it's about the heart and the relationships. So when you make it a business, what's the business about? It's always about people. It should always be about people. It should be about people. But what is business? Money. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So at the end of the day, we still talking about money. We, we, we talked about everything else. We talked about the heart, but the heart has to come down to business. So at any business, they're going to say, I need to make money. So when you have people who are in the position to make money and I can make money off of something, why do I want to put something into somebody and give them the heart? When I'm trying to get dollars in my pocket. Yeah, but it's a manager. And I used to always say, and you're so right, you know, and maybe you all can speak about why rise to greatness is so important to you and what Jerry does, because it's easy as a CEO, I, I want to spend a dollar and make two, but can I spend a dollar and make a dollar ninety? Well, I, I wanna I wanna I'm here, and I'm gonna tell you this. This is I'm here because of Marcus Nettles. I was a Marlins player and we went to University of Miami and he was a player there and I got to meet him there as a young kid. And, uh, you know, being a major league player coming to college, you could tell that they're like, man, these because we were where they were trying to get. But I see the work you're doing right now, Mark. So I, I couldn't be more proud of you. You know, I couldn't be more proud of you because I saw where you were. I knew what you were trying to do. I saw you persevere. I kept tabs on you every now and then. All the kids, you know, <laughs> love it, love it. Love but it. to see what you're doing now, I want to hear from your mouth. How can the people in your area help you accomplish what you're trying to do? Um, 
So as far as the people in my, help me accomplish what I want to do, I mean, to continue to support my efforts of what I'm trying to do. So my main goal uh, with the Marcus Nettles Project is um, I want to get black kids um, access to resources because I know I was, I have a lot of resources from playing at the University of Miami, being around the people that I've been around and then being in the environment I'm in now with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So that, that's my main thing is to get uh, the black kids that's playing baseball is to, um, not only have a chance to interact um, with people that look like me and let them know that they can play baseball, but if they don't make it in baseball, there's also other things that they can do to help change their environment. Yeah. And I think it's very important um, for that to happen. But to go to what you're saying, that's that's what people can do around in, in the Chicagoland areas to continue to support the organizations such as my organization, Rise to Greatness, you have um, black baseball media, those organizations that are actually in the community that are doing things with the with the the, the kids to help them get to where they want to get to or to just get out of all all the things that are going on negative negatively negatively. Do you, do you have like a you have like a website or you have a um a PayPal or Venmo where if, if somebody is somebody anybody that hears this yeah. and they want to yeah. say, hey man, I, I'll send you thirty dollars. Anybody any way they can help if they want to, how can they help you? How can they send you somebody to get you uh, help you do that? MarcusNettlesProject.com. That's where I was last night. We'll put links. these two when we post we'll put links to all that stuff. How long have you been doing it, Marcus? Uh since twenty seventeen. So for about um organized since 2017. So well, I like the part you years. said too, like, you know, like, like Rice Gray, I remember when, when my dad first started wanting to do a foundation is like the RBI program. He's like, the last thing we can do is go into a community, give some gloves, give them a little baseball and then leave and never come back. And because again, you, you, we just talked about it, you see that. And it's like, you can't, it's just check the box. Yeah, great, we did it. You know, I, I think that, that continual community ties with, like you said earlier, programs are already there. Use the programs right there and build them and help them grow with whatever resources they need. And I think that that is just where we get to where we need to get. And it's long-term. Long yeah. Well, a long-term engagement too would help. We talked about, you know, business being, you know, strictly turning to dollars, right? The bottom line is making money. Um, but that's a quick turnaround. If you make the business about relationships, then it turns into the money as well. But it's just a longer you know, a longer time it gets to, but you That's know, long everybody, everybody wants immediate, right? Yeah, but it goes, I'm just, just, you know, no, 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 that, you're right, you you're saying, right. It's you know? long game, but everything is quick right now. So what yeah. you're saying, people are like, oh, I want results right now, right now, right now. But going back to baseball too, if you want to build those relationships with the black community and find the next Ken Griffey, right? Find the next Michael Tucker, Preston Wilson, you're not finding these guys. You're trying to make these other players that don't even look like us the next five two athletes and say, oh, black kids ain't playing. You know what? Build a, a long-term relationship in a black community. Go to the people that already have things intact. Invest like you invest in the Dominican Republic. Find people out there like Rise to Greatness. Guess what? That long-term relationship, aside from I think what you all said about the amateur drive going, I mean, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. But aside from that, if you're going to do it like that, Invest in these communities locally, and then that long-term relationship is going to translate to dollars because you're going to get that next superstar black athlete, that next product there, to be so, out there. Because so, we didn't stop being athletic. No. You might have stopped investing, <laughs> so, but we still so again, fast. Yeah. The people that have the power to make those decisions, though, yeah. how do we get those people? Because, again, if you were all sitting there as owners, this would happen. Yeah. Right? I mean, be honest. If you were all – if people that looked like 
like you all were coaches, managers, owners. This shit would already happen. Well, those, those oh, how do those older guys get to get to the legitimate people if they've never been around them? They may get a good salesperson, and they may not check all the boxes or investigate as much because they don't care enough. So they hear a good sales pitch from a minority person that may not be in the neighborhood or may not have a background in baseball. I'm like, you know what? He sounds good. Let's hire him. And then find and finds out nothing's going on, right? Right. So the check. Yeah, I checked that box. Right. Why not really do some due diligence like you would if you was involved interviewing somebody to be president of your company? Then you're gonna do some due diligence. Then you're gonna look and say, well, let's do X, Y, and Z. Oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. Guess what? We can't hire you because because of this. Do the same thing as opposed to saying, you know what? We're really getting pressure about not having minorities doing X, Y, and Z. Didn't didn't Mike sound good? You know what? Let, let's just hire Mike. Hey guys, we did it. We did it. We got somebody. Yeah, that worked. Yep. And that, it's we call that. We say a lot about that value and mission over leadership. And they're not mm -hmm. being leaders. And so we got just a couple minutes left. So yep. I'm, I, you kind of gave me right where I was going to go. Like, <laughs> okay. what, what would you? What would be your final solutions or, or solutions? It's money, obviously. But final parting words on what we could do to get more of us at the table. Is it leveraging the Jerry's of the world that can get to the table to open the door and crack it and let us in? What, what are your thoughts as we wrap up here about it's how do we get to that money? It's simple. Ownership has to change hands. It's delicate. It doesn't sound nice. But the people who have those mentalities and those ideals that they were born with are the people that have the money. And when money can switch or those teams can get into the hands who people have more, who have more compassion and more empathy for everyone the money will change the directions. So it's, it may sound insensitive. It's factual. The fact is, is the people who own the teams right now don't care sometimes. They really don't care. How, how would you know? Because the money's not going there. It's really that, pudding, right? it's, it's yeah. really that simple. <laughs> if you want to know someone's priorities, look at their billing statements. Yeah. Where you put your money is what matters the most to you. So I know it, I know it's I know it's indelicate and I know it sounds harsh, but but is it just it, a waiting game or yes, or that, how do you force it more it, faster? You is there a way to force it? You can't I mean, force it. You know how many people have tried to force it? I know it's, I know. it's already been that that's been going on. Well, and bottom line, young, the generation coming up, they care about people having heart more. Right. Like they're not as built on like you had all these people that would take less money to be able to work from home and have more time off. That is changing. So literally what what owners need to understand is if I have an option to work for Joe Schmo, who only cares about money and bottom line and you now have a company and I feel like you care about people and you care about me and developing me. Remember, we had Robert Smith on my mentor. Mm -hmm. He came from from Dallas, Texas to Iowa which had never heard of it because he went to work for the man. And I think they need to understand that too. I want to work for the person that sees me, not sees a dollar sign. Yeah, but you, you're only going to have that when you have people of like ideals working together. And I'm not going to hire you if you're not thinking like I think. I'm only going to hire the person who thinks like I think. Why am I going to bring you in and you are contradicting what I'm trying to go against. So it's like what we're talking about. The, the, the money will change when the mentality changes. Yes. And I will say this on a very <laughs> basic level. When we talked about, you know, African-Americans in this country, 
the civil rights movement did not really gain any ground as far as real momentum until those kids from Berkeley started caring. And you started seeing dogs getting sicked on them when the Freedom Riders got killed on that bus. That's when the mm. sentiment started caring because no oppressed people has ever stopped themselves from being oppressed. So when you talk about African-American people in baseball who want to get me more included, you had to have someone else on the other side say, this is wrong and we need to change it. So maybe the children, if those teams get handed down from those owners, they may have more compassion. They may have more empathy. But right now, that current group in there, it's just not there. And we could talk about it till we're blue in the face, but the facts Just are the real facts. Allies, is there honest hope that that will change? Uh, well, I think, I, I don't know. Here, <laughs> no, here's, my, here, here's my honest hope. The facilities that are already in place from the black ownership who are developing kids in the middle, in the middle, in, in the inner cities, uh, you know, Jason Hayward just added a place here. I don't know where it's at. I've heard about it. Yeah. I know, yeah, you know, Charlie Hayes has his place. Herm Willingham has a place. Uh, uh, Papa Jack has a place. So these these are the establishments that are in place. Start developing and bringing good athletes. Chet Lemon has a place down in, in Florida. You start developing out of those facilities. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you all. Thank you all for your time. I know we, 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 we're about wrapped up here. Appreciate the work. I want to give a special shout out to our presenting sponsor, Kirkwood Community College, and definitely our silver sponsor, Rise to Greatness, for making this happen. Um, you all have said it. Um, Jerry and Rise to Greatness are people with hearts, and that's why you're here. And so we hope we can uh, spread the wealth as much as we can about what you're doing. Um, and we appreciate the voices and the honesty and, and that's what matters. And so, uh, any last words, partners? No, thank you all. No, thank, thank you, you all for, all. again, for your honesty and candor. I mean, I know that, that you know, it's it's uh, it's not the easiest conversation because you keep having to have it. Um, but eventually, we'll hopefully we'll get more people to listen, so. Advancing equity is not a one-year project. It's a generational commitment. There are too few people in the world willing to be the domino, too few people willing to take that fall.